You're listening to Common Ground YYC, a podcast dedicated to long-form, in-depth conversations with Alberta's most dynamic personalities, thinkers, newsmakers, and all-around mover and shakers. Your hosts are Sylvia Pical and Darren Krause. Welcome to Season 2 of the Common Ground YYC podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Darren Krause, editor of LiveWireCalgary.com. I'm really happy this season to have co-hosting with me, Calgary journalist and the editor of New Forum magazine, Sylvia Pical. Hi, Sylvia. Hey, Darren. So for those of you who were loyal fans before, you may know that our prior host, Josh White, had to give up his role as the host of Common Ground YYC because of a a potential conflict with a job that he took with the city of Calgary. Uh, I would personally like to thank Josh for all the work he put into making the first season of the show a success. Uh, He really did have a lot of great interviews. We wanted to continue with the great launch season Josh put together uh, with his variety of great conversations with Calgarians who were both at the forefront of some of the top news issues, but also those who were a little bit ahead of the curve talking about emerging issues. Uh, We're hoping to continue that in season two, but add our own twist to the mix. We really want to keep the intent of the Common Ground YYC podcast to delivering long-form conversations on topics that are important to you. And I think we also want to dig a little bit below the surface and talk with Albertans on topics that don't always hit the mainstream media. We're going to vary the format of the podcast from time to time. Some topics are going to lend themselves really well to a conversation with one person, while other stories are really going to be better told with more voices. We'll provide these stories once a month, and we'll keep experimenting with where this podcast can go and the type of story we can cover with it. So hopefully we can keep you entertained and informed along the way. Absolutely. Uh, For the season two premiere, we're going to talk about the role of independent media. Now, before you all get, you know, your shirts in a knot, it's not meant to be a self-serving conversation here. But instead, we want to look at where independent media can fill the gaps in local information gathering and storytelling. To get into that conversation, Sylvia, why don't you introduce yourself to listeners and tell them about what you're doing right now in the independent publishing world. I would love to, Darren. So (laughs) (laughs) my role, uh, basically, I am the editor and co-founder of New Forum magazine. And I launched New Forum in June 2019 with Lisa Murphy-Land, the director of Loft 112, Calgary's creative and literary hub. It's a really awesome place. If you haven't been there yet, check out one of their events. And we basically, we brought back uh, Calgary's original feminist magazine, Forum, which was published between 1988 to 2002. Basically, we wanted to bring back a really feisty feminist voice that covered a variety of issues back in the 80s and 90s, and it covered everything from the stigma surrounding menopause to the harm of cultural appropriation, and those issues that Forum covered are all still really relevant today. And through our print publication, our writing workshops, and our festival programming, we really aim to provide a platform for diverse voices in Alberta. So I'm really passionate about independent media and local publications. And of course, because of this passion, I came, Darren actually reached out to me for a story for Livewire Calgary that he did about our launch. So that's actually how Darren and I met. So exactly. Darren, why don't you tell me more about uh, your journey to Livewire? Oh, well, it's a long one. I, I know that many of the listeners out there may know that I used to be the editor uh, of the Metro paper when it was the Metro Calgary here. I uh, did that for about 10 years. Um, and one of the things that I really tried to focus on while I was doing the news in Calgary was finding those unique stories, those those stories that, that maybe the others were overlooking because it wasn't newsy enough, you know, it wasn't like your, your, your prototypical uh, 6 p.m. news broadcast and there's something that always stuck with me and it was while I was working with some of the editors who are at the the Star Media, Star Metro Media, they had told me at one point that you can't do community news in a big city 
I, it's, it's just stuck with me because I believe you can do community news in a big city um, because I think it's what's missing in a city. So um, after I parted ways with uh, the Toronto Star, I thought, you know what, I'm going to try and do this on my own. I still think that there's a niche for local news and unique storytelling and 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 for me one of the beauties of it is is I don't have to go by some mold that's already there. Every time I write a story I can do it in whatever way I want. I can do whatever treatment I want. I can do whatever voice I want. I don't have to be a certain tried and true way. So all of that really appealed to me and now I mean I can hardly believe it. I'm 18 months in Ooh. and yeah. 18 months in, second season of the Common Ground YYC podcast. Um, but I really do feel like whether it's you uh, in, in your area, whether it's me in the community civic news field, or whether it's players like Mike Bell with YYC or Jeremy Clauses with The Sprawl, um, I believe that there's a real uh, need, but also opportunity for independent media in Calgary. And we're going to talk about that. A little bit more in this uh, podcast so I mean and and what got us to it is is the understanding that mainstream media just isn't what it once was uh, newsrooms have been gutted and they increasingly rely on almost a polarization of their audiences in order to monetize their products so that leads us into this month's topic and uh, we will be speaking with a panel of guests When we first began recording this podcast, it was centered around Post Media and a summertime podcast from Canadian independent media outlet Canada Land. It was about Canada Land exposing that there was a specific new right-facing direction that Post Media had taken and that their approach to news and coverage would go through that filter. That spurred our conversation in this episode about the role of independent media, especially in Calgary. In between the conversation we had here about a month ago and today, much has changed in the local news landscape. The Star Metro brand, which I have an obvious long-time prior connection to, announced in November that they would be ceasing the print operations effective December 20th. Now, it's believed that they are going to relaunch a digital-only option, um, but with much smaller staff. But still... Sylvie and I both thought that this was a more appropriate entry into this conversation as the void left by Star Metro will have a widespread impact. Now, maybe more than ever, emerging independent media outlets from Livewire Calgary and New Form Magazine to places like The Sprawl, Scene, and Alberta Advantage, they have a larger responsibility to help inform citizens. So while our conversation started as a response to the post-media situation, we believed it was equally relevant in light of recent local media events. We're losing more and more local newspapers. So with all of this happening, we're left wondering, what's the future of local news? And is independent media the answer? In Alberta, we've seen several local independent media publications pop up in the last few years. We have The Sprawl, YY Scene, Alberta Advantage, Taproot Yeg, and of course, Livewire Calgary, which have all launched to offer an alternative to mainstream media and really focus on the local stories that we might be missing with the big players. So some of what we're going to talk about with our panel is um, how they're responding to the changing media landscape. Are they sustainable? Um, so we're going to talk to some of the founders of these independent outlets. Okay, so we've got our guests here. I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. Kind of tell us, you know, who you are, what you're doing, and, um, you know, how you kind of fit into the independent media mix. Sure. So uh, my name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the founder and editor of The Sprawl, which is a crowdfunded local journalism website in Calgary. So my name is Kate Jacobson. I am the host and sound engineer of the Alberta Advantage, which is a podcast that releases main episodes bi-monthly. And we're a socialist podcast that focuses on providing a socialist analysis of what is happening uh, on Alberta or on the prairies and in Alberta, both historically and in contemporary times. 
you know, independent journalism is kind of seen uh, a real growth, especially here in Calgary. I know, Jeremy, that you and and Mike Bell were probably, you know, one of the original ones who, who went mainstream with your independent uh, media. Maybe kind of tell me what were the early days like just starting off and, and, and how it's kind of elevated from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it started because there wasn't really much going on in town in the way of journalism, like newsrooms were collapsing, for lack of a better term. Um, and and I was a freelancer and trying to figure out where am I going to work, and there were fewer and fewer pl- places to work. Uh, so the sprawl kind of came out of that as an ex- experiment, and what surprised me was that there was a real appetite for it. Uh, people really responded to it. They're like, oh, these are local stories. Uh, this this is telling me what's going on at City Hall, like this is what we need. And and yeah, that it. I kind of launched it thinking like, this could work, this could not work. Originally, I was just covering the municipal election in 2017. But yeah, that response kind of drove it. And where do you fit into the mix, Kate? When did you get started? Yeah, so we also got started in 2017. And our first episode was actually about the municipal election. So the 2017 municipal election, I guess, gave birth to both these projects. Um, And like Jeremy, I think we were also very floored by the really positive response that this project had. And I think the reason for that is because of the explanatory power um, of the work we do is Alberta can be a really, really messed up place. And I think for speaking from my perspective as someone who is not from here, someone who is young, sometimes you are looking at it and you're like, why is this place the way that it is? Like, why does everyone worship the oil and gas economy? How did we have conservative like a conservative dynasty for 44 years straight all these sorts of things and i think being able to actually like look at the major industries here and the historical material facts and the the historical data and explain to people or to at least posit explanations of why alberta is the way that it is and what can be done about it was really compelling for people why don't you like what where do you want this conversation to go sylvia i would like to hear from everyone on what end up independent publications have that the mainstream media doesn't? Oh, here's an easy one. The Alberta Advantage isn't owned by a right-wing American hedge fund, and we're not run by Paul Godfrey, and Paul Godfrey doesn't give me orders at election time to tell me to endorse Andrew Scheer. And that's the truth of the media landscape in Calgary, is both the Calgary Sun and the Calgary Herald are owned by Post Media, and Post Media is run by an American hedge fund, and they get their marching orders, and these marching orders are very right-wing, and they are often even against the will of the journalists in those newsrooms who do the day-to-day reporting. And we are accountable only to our listeners, and we have significant leeway in the things we can talk about and in the topics that we can cover. We don't have advertisers. Like, if you like the Alberta Advantage and you want us to succeed, you can support us directly. So that makes it really easy for us to talk about things that are really taboo in Alberta. We're against the Trans Mountain expansion pipeline. We don't care about public debt. We support raising salaries for public sector workers. Like These are all things that would be incredibly taboo in the opinion pages of a post-media paper. And they're things that we have the ability to just say and believe and act on and also too I think is important for us is we want to actually provide analysis that is useful for activists and organizers in Calgary. My favorite thing to hear about the podcast is when someone is a climate justice organizer or a trade unionist and they say this is a really helpful way of thinking about this issue that I can use in the type of work I do. So I think that kind of reciprocal relationship we have with the communities we are a part of and the movements we are a part of and the work we do is really important for us. I think just to just to temper that a little bit only because I've been on the other side. No. Yeah, I mean, it, for me it's it's the dichotomy in the industry right now. You have you have your post media US hedge fund very conservative part of the reason why we're talking here, but also the star group, star, star media, um, having been a cast off from there, they're extremely progressive in their Atkinson principles, which they start off with right, wrong or otherwise, you know, no matter which way you believe on the political spectrum, 
I guess that's that's where independent media may fit in, may not fit in, um, but it happens on the flip side of it as well. There's those that only look at it from a pro- progressive perspective for the most part as well. So I, I see it as a problem in general, personally. I, I don't know. I, I like the, I gotta be honest, I like that the star lays out, bam, here's our principles, so you know where we stand. To me, I mean, when you think about, like, The Guardian in the UK, uh, it's a similar type thing. Like, okay, that's a more progressive publication than a bunch of the UK tabloids. And I think readers can discern that. But I think what is disturbing about post-media... Well, yeah, like, everything is disturbing about it because <laughs> they don't have editorial independence. Yeah, they are owned by a US hedge fund. They've gutted local newsrooms. They don't have principles. Like... When you look at that organization, they don't have principles. I mean, I think they do have principles, but I think they have principles that suit their owners that and and by their owners i'm not talking about like the managing editor to be clear of like the calgary herald newsroom i'm talking about the people who own the literal capital and the literal assets of post media and those are people who also own assets in the oil and gas industry who own capital in other ways and i think post media does have principles insofar as they serve those interests and they should articulate that (laughs) Uh, where, where do you stand on this, Sylvia? In terms of the, you know, the the polarization, perhaps, of media. Well, as someone with a journalism background, I've seen publishers lean on editorial staff to cover certain topics. So, <laughs> um, I've been very frustrated by that, and it's definitely one of the guiding forces between starting my own publication where I don't have to answer to anybody but myself. And if, for me, I, I always think, if it doesn't pay my bills, that's fine. I have a full-time job to support myself. So one thing I'm actually curious about is, do we think that independent media is viable and something that can be profitable? Or is it something that will likely remain as a hobby for some? That's a great question. Uh, Jeremy, I believe, I, I mean, you've got a, a, a job and Sylvia, you have a job. You and I do this full time. Mm-hmm. Can we make it viable? Is it viable? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the eternal question with this stuff. Like, can you sustain it? Can you make it so it's not just one person? Can you? Yeah, I don't know. And I don't know the answer to that. Like, I, I kind of look at it. I'm like, wow, sprawl has been going two years. Like, that's good. But I also am like, wow, how much longer can can I do this? Mm-hmm. So I think like it's possible. And I think the trick for better or worse nowadays is to go niche, like to go like what you guys do on Alberta Advantage. It's like you're speaking to a specific audience, like you know your people. I think the sprawl's similar in a way where it's like, okay, like in-depth city hall, municipal stuff, some provincial, but like I think where startups or independent media can go off the rails sometimes is by trying to be like an institution, like trying to recreate the Calgary Herald of the 1970s. It's like, you can't do that. Like, I wish we could, though. (laughs) Yeah. Um, How do you think independent media is filling the gap? Um, Because, I mean, there's not only us in this room, but, I mean, of course, there's Mike Bell, who's doing the the entertainment, um, you know, kind of the the Calgary scene. Um, I know there are others. I know that Taylor Lambert has a podcast as well. Um, all of these voices that are that are kind of in their own areas, um, it, is that filling the need? I think so in the, in the sense, like I think of it as a newspaper. Like think of a, new, a newspaper. It's like, okay, uh, Livewire, you're the... You're the daily news section. The sprawl is the feature section. Alberta Advantage is the opinion section. Like <laughs> Mike Bell's the enter- uh, YY scene is the uh, entertainment. So obviously we're all under resourced and uh, and not able to do as necessarily robust stuff as we can. But I think we're doing pretty good with what we have. Mm-hmm. And. I'll say that like I see the Alberta Advantage more as a political project than I do see it as a media project, even though it takes form 
as a piece of media, like as podcasts, but certainly kind of our guiding ethos and our guiding force is we're trying to push a particular political direction. And we're like open and honest about that. We're socialists and we want more people to be socialists and to think like us. And frankly, I think the world would be a better place if more people did. Like I'm going to be uh, honest about that. I'm going to be upfront with uh, our listeners about it. So we have a very, very specific niche is I always say like, if you want like a podcast for like your conservative uncle that you kind of want to maybe convince him that like Justin Trudeau isn't going to implement Sharia law, like don't give him the upward advantage. He's not going <laughs> to like it or learn anything. But like, this is a podcast for people who like, maybe they voted NDP, maybe they like trade unions, but they're not sure to kind of like for us push them uh, further to the left. So I'll be totally honest, and this is maybe not the best thing to say on a podcast about media, is that I rarely think about the way the Alberta Advantage fits into a media ecosystem, just because uh, I don't really see us as fulfilling uh, a media role. The form is just like, the form is kind of a byproduct of the political work. Like, I think maybe if we lived in the 1970s, the 1980s, we would be making a newspaper, uh, for example. And what would you say is your definition of success other than encouraging people to think more left? Is it a certain number of downloads or like what does it look like to you? Hmm. Um, I would like to see the Alberta Advantage be able to expand, be able to do more stuff with the written word. So we do two main podcasts per month and these are uh, larger research focused episodes. Um, So these are usually historical or they're about a contemporary event. And then we'll do about two or three mini episodes a month. And these are things like interviews. They tend to be more topical. They're easier to produce and edit. Um, But I don't actually want to produce more audio content because I think people just won't listen to it after a certain point. Like if you're producing one thing a week, right, Uh, people are not going to be listening to more than that. So for us expanding kind of into the written word and seeing about other forms that could take, that's something we're starting to think about more and more and especially as we've got more and more Uh, Money. I mean, we don't make a ton of money. We pull in about $1,600 a month and we have a little under 200 people who support us, which is a wild number to me. Every time I think about the fact that 200 people are listening to our podcast, let alone giving us money every month. Um, So thinking about ways which we can expand. We actually recently started a newsletter. Um, So that's been kind of the next thing we have been doing. And with that, we share some of our writing, um, links to things. kind of a small event calendar of things that would be of interest to people who listen to our podcast. As far as success goes, I think contributing to me to a strengthened like Albertan left is is what I want to see, is I want to see the way in which we talk about issues and the issues we push become more common uh, and become more of the ways in which people talk about issues. Uh, And I see that happen occasionally with some things in certain circles, especially in social democratic circles and things. So that to me is what is successful. Shifting conversation, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a way of putting it. Yeah. What about you, Jeremy? What does success look like for you in the sprawl? That's a good question. Yeah, I think the sprawl can do more. By nature of its model, there's like not a ton of content or it's like kind of infrequent, in-depth stuff. So I think, you know, having, I'd love to have a staff writer one day, for example, but also I kind of resist the idea of like scale. There's really this idea of you need to go to scale. I, it's just crazy to me. Like, uh, so there's not going to be a sprawl Edmonton. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Well, I've thought about sprawl Edmonton, actually, (laughs) but I don't know. Like, yeah, that is maybe the only thing that makes sense. But like, I've had pressure to like, oh, you should do this across Canada. And it's like, why? I don't understand. Like, it's for the community it serves. So what's the point of expanding for the sake of expanding? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I think we had a sprawl event uh, last night at a pub and there were maybe like 20 or 30 people there uh, talking about what the sprawl should cover next year. And it's like that kind of stuff. That to me is success. Like people coming, feeling connected, having conversation, being like, oh man, this budget stuff, like I'm pretty dismayed. Like they have conversations, they kind of lift each other up, they go home feeling a little more connected. That to me is success. We've had kind of a similar thing where so much of the work we do is so focused on Alberta and the prairies. And we've talked internally about like, 
should we be covering other things in Canada? Because there's not really anyone else doing the kind of in-depth historic analysis that we do uh, with that contemporary angle. Uh, And we've branched out occasionally, like we've covered the Quebec general strike of 1972, uh, a couple small examples here and there. But I am a strong believer, and this is a little bit different than some of my co-hosts, that it is really important to focus on Alberta and the prairies because even people who live there we don't understand a lot about where we live uh, and the region because, I mean, Canadians in general, we pay so much attention to American politics. And then we here on the prairies, we pay so much attention to politics in Ottawa that when we were doing episodes about things that had happened in uh, Alberta history, like whether it was the wheat pools on the prairies as an example of like cooperative models, so many people told us like, I've lived in Alberta my whole life and I've never heard of this. Or when we were talking about the social credit party, like I've lived in Alberta my whole life and I've never heard of this. Like the premier of Alberta was doing what? (laughs) And it's like, yeah, like all of these things were happening and they were here. And I think contributing to a richer understanding of the places that we are and live and struggle and make our lives Mm -hmm. is, is very important. So for us, the niche is very regional. Uh, it is very much built into an understanding of like the prairies as a place with a specific uh, history uh, of colonization and of a specific history of settlement and a specific history of forms of organization and how that has led to the society we see today. Yeah, really doing a deep dive into where we live and the issues that impact us, which mainstream media can't usually do. I'd like to hear from you, Darren, about what success looks like uh, for you and nothing short of world takeover Um, no Uh, success for me is actually it 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 aligns somewhat with uh, what both Kate and Jeremy are saying Um, but obviously from a daily news perspective um, there are, are stories that can impact Calgarians in a daily way, things that, like when you hear about, well, the, the example that I like to give is when uh, the person in, in King Cora, you know, reaches out to us and says, oh, you know, I, uh, um, I saw your article on the graders the, in the back alley, and I just want you to know that our back alley got graded the next day, and I really believe that it was because of your story. When they reach out and they say stuff like that to me, that's, I know it seems small, I'm not trying to change the world, but if I can change, you know, just even that moment where that person goes, my back alley just got graded. For me, that's a success. And it's kind of what I've tried to instill in the reporters who have worked with me in the past is, I mean, we've all heard the, the trope of, I wanna change the world, you know, I wanna want to help solve, you know, this crisis, that crisis, I wanna be a real player, when really the biggest impact you can have is really in your own backyard. And that conversation was over a radio tower on a church, you know, uh, you know going through that conversation. Um, having th- those people's voices heard um, and them getting a, a seat at the table Every time I can do that, that's what really gets me going. Sure, the web hits are nice. Sure, when you get some revenue or a new patron or something, that's nice too. Do I want to expand? Yeah. Do I want to get a little bit closer? Not, I never want to replicate the Herald or the Sun or, or even what Star Metro is doing. But is there room for expansion? Is, it, is there room for people to, like more reporters, to be able to tell more stories around the city? Absolutely, there's a 1.3 million people, and you can't tell me that there aren't even that that there aren't you know thousands of stories that are left untold every single day. Those are the ones we want to find, and when we do, that's a success. Yeah, it's that local that local element connects with people, like mm-hmm. for all of us, I think. Yeah, it's like so crowdsourcing. It seems to be a real driver behind independent journalism, whether you're Canada Land, whether you're Sprawl, whether you're Alberta Advantage, Livewire. Crowdsourcing is is a big thing. Now, I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. Are people paying for, are they paying for more news? Or are they paying for the idea? Or are they paying for the person um, or the message? I think it's a combination, maybe. It's, it's yeah, they're paying for to be part of a community, to be part of a cause. I don't think they're paying, this is weird for me to say because I'm a journalist, I don't know if they're paying for news per se. Uh, in, in the case of the sprawl, like yes, on the surface, 
that's what it is. But I think it's deeper than that. It's like people want to be connected. And so that's why, well, I think all of our models are the same in that it, there's nothing's behind a paywall. Like you can, mm -hmm. I can go listen to Alberta Advantage. I can read Livewire, like all that can happen right away. But once you listen to, you know, a few episodes or whatever, you, you start to realize, wow, like I, I want to be part of this and I want to chip in. So yeah, I think people want to be part of something is, is what it is. Yeah, so our model is the same. Everything is free. You can listen to every episode of the Alberta Advantage. You can subscribe to our newsletter. You can write us emails, and it will never cost you a dime. I think people pay because they like the idea, and I think people pay because they want to honor that the work that we put into it. Um, one of the things with the Alberta Advantage is I think you can tell when you listen to it it's an incredibly dense podcast a lot of people have told me like i listen to podcasts on one and a half speed except yours because it's there's too much information <laughs> taking place in it and i also speak pretty fast so i think people want to kind of honor the amount of work that they can tell is uh going into it and to support the project we are working on in terms of the ideas and the message and the politics of what is behind it um and we're also a pretty big team so i think our operation is very different from the sprawl and quite a bit different from livewire like i'm here there I'm, there's i'm one of like 20 people who works on the alberta advantage oh really uh yeah so there's probably a core group of about seven or eight of us who do a lot of the kind of organizational stuff but yeah i'm literally in a slack channel with 20 people some people you've never heard on the podcast but they do design work mm -hmm. some people do admin some people do research so it is really a group labor and very very much uh, a labor of love so a lot of the money that we get uh because it's impossible to pay uh, everyone kind of when there's 20 people working on it and you're making $1,600 a month. We use uh, occasionally uh, for social things and things like that. So I do think you're fun. Is, yeah, exactly. Sometimes, uh, sometimes we actually go to Costco and buy uh, brisket and we smoke it. So if you're donating money to the Alberta Advantage, we have spent some of your money on brisket at Costco. I, I don't know if this is like a plus or a minus for you. Well, it'll, it may appeal to the, uh, to the conservative crowd in terms of supporting <laughs> Alberta beef. Yes, we heart Alberta beef. Um, now, just as a follow-up question to that, um, is that the answer? Can independent media just be sustained on crowdfunding? I don't know. I think it's part of the answer. I don't know that anybody has the answer right now. Like, everybody's kind of experimenting and figuring Well, Jeremy, we're trying to figure out what the answer is on this podcast. <laughs> It's too hard. No, I don't know. I think it's a combination of things. Like the sprawl got a grant from uh, basically from Facebook through Ryerson University. So like obviously that helped. And when you look at uh, places in the states and and in Canada too, independent uh, media organizations, they usually have some kind of combination of revenue. Like whether it's you have some crowdfunding, you have some grants, you have some philanthropy type stuff. I don't know if I have the answer, but I'd love to historicize it a little bit, um, which is that a lot of people think that the reason journalism is failing is just because it's not profitable anymore. That's not really true. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, the bottom has fallen out a little bit on a lot of advertising, but journalism is absolutely still profitable. It's just not profitable at the profit margins that the people who own things now demand. Profit margins in newspapers and in everything else were much smaller. 40 or 50 years ago, but we live uh, under different and intensified economic conditions now. And honestly, I think what's happening to journalism is what's happening to every other industry. People are working short. Journalists now do more They and they're paid less. Uh, wages have not kept up with inflation. They have not gone up. Uh, and that is not unique to journalism. And I think so often when we talk about media, we want to pretend that like these are problems that are so unique to newspapers or to journalism. But if you look around at any industry, you will see workers in any industry struggling with the same thing. 
And one of the things that I think could be a solution is I think people who work in journalism should see themselves as workers. Uh, I think that if you are a journalist who is working for the Edmonton Journal or the Calgary Herald and you don't own it and you're not a manager, you should see yourself as a worker. And a lot of I know a lot of journalists don't because they think that like that is dogmatic or ideological uh, or it's political in some way and they want to remain unbiased. But the fact of the matter is that you, as someone who works as a journalist, have different interests than the person who owns the newspaper so I would like to see uh, I would like to see a lot more unionization of uh, news sites uh, and we've seen quite a lot of that in America with many of the uh, with a lot of digital media uh, unionizing a lot of uh, even traditional media the LA Times recently unionized things like that uh, and I would like to see those unions push ideas about democratic control of their workplaces about journalists having a real say in how workplaces are run because journalists like any other workers they know how their workplaces run better than their bosses do you know what it's the same like if you're working on the floor of a factory you know how that factory runs better than your boss does if you're working on the floor of a hospital you know how it runs better than your boss does i think journalists uh, aren't any different and i think journalists have got to get over that hurdle of self-identifying as workers and participating in workers movements and there's historical precedent for that yeah yeah totally what would you say to students graduating from a journalism program? Don't go to a journalism program. <laughs> <laughs> Having just taught, yes, I would be inclined to agree. <laughs> I don't know the answer. <laughs> so I did not go to a journalism program, and I actually never finished my undergrad, but I did work at the University of Calgary student newspaper when I was in uh, college. If you are graduating from a journalism program and you want to work in media, yeah, I'm actually going to say what I said to the previous question is I would think of yourself as a worker and I would try and make allegiances with your fellow workers instead of what is common in journalism and in any industry, which is sucking up to your bosses, sucking up to management, this very... Uh, People are very individualistic. They want to get ahead. They want to get a job, and jobs are scarce. I totally get it. People have to pay rent. Uh, but thinking more uh, about that would be my recommendation for anyone entering the industry, whether or not they actually end up being employed in it. Yeah, and you mentioned the gauntlet. Like I, that would be one of my pieces of advice to like try and get into those places as much as possible. School papers. I'm torn on this issue because. Yeah, I, I think freelance, like get your name out as much as possible. Try and freelance for wherever, Livewire, The Sprawl, or New Forum, right? Like there's, there's options. But the, what I struggle with is what a lot of what you're talking about. Like with this new, uh, with the landscape the way it is, it's like, okay, these small startups and we're all, it's basically all freelance. So how do you do that in a way that honors workers and is like, yeah, you pay people fairly. That's a start. Um, but that's why I say I want to have a staff writer. Yeah, and it's also just most people can't do that. Like, can't do what we're talking totally. about. Because it's just like, I can do the Alberta Advantage because I have a full-time job that pays me very well. And then I can have a hobby on the side. But I have to work because I have to pay rent and buy groceries and make payments on my car. And that is true for most people. And I think more and more journalism is becoming a career that is, uh, because it has some kind of prestige or professionalism associated with it, I think people sometimes have romanticized ideas of it, it is becoming exclusionary to people who, like most of us, have to work for a living. Uh, it's very, very difficult to put together a salary freelancing. Uh, it's very, very difficult to live off of internships that pay nothing or pay very, very little. Um, and I think that's a massive issue in the industry and is a massive loss to the industry. You know, if we can't uh, pay people, if you cannot pay people proper salaries, you are going to lose out on a vast majority of people. And the vast majority of people you lose out, they are going to be more women, they are going to be more new Canadians, more immigrants, more people of color, because class is a racialized and gendered phenomenon. And this maybe is some something that where the independents can do more than a lot of the big media organizations who don't who don't pay interns, right? You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, the problem is, is that is that the two work in lockstep that I've come to realize the uh, the post-secondary institutes operate very similarly to the legacy media. They aren't very 
uh, oh, hey, yeah, let's do that. Let's try that. You know, innovative in their uh, approaches to teaching or getting the students out there. I mean, like I said, I recently had a teaching experience. I'm not sure if I would ever go back to that kind of institutionalized teaching because I've experienced it from both sides now, both as a newsroom editor and both, or, or and as a teacher, the students really struggled with the amount of value that they got out of the class. Now that could just be because I'm a shitty teacher, <laughs> but I've always been told in my newsroom, oh gosh, you're such a great teacher. Um, but it's the way they're being taught at journalism schools that does them absolutely no favors for what it's really like when you get out into the real world. And to your point, Jeremy, there's so many opportunities for, for, in, for independence and journalism schools to go, hey, there's a really great opportunity here. You need a little bit of content. We need a place for our writers to, to be nurtured by more than just our instructors who most of them haven't been um, in the media industry for or written a story for a newspaper or magazine or done a podcast in the past you know, 20 years. Um, what do they know about media today and what it's like today? So there's a real disconnect there. The advice I would give would be the same as you. Get out there, get to the independent publications, get to, to uh, the school newspapers, make sure that you have an opportunity to continually ply your craft because, I mean, it's a buyer's market out there for journalists and unless you are practicing and making sure that you are better or you get your voice out there, you don't have a hope in hell, really. Yeah, and it, it's tough for students. Like, I think, well, I was talking to a journalism student today, actually, and she said she's the only person in her class uh, that's a, tr actively trying to get a journalism job. Like, everybody else is going for communications because that's where jobs are. That's where money is. And that's, oh, yeah. Schools are training people for jobs that do not exist mm -hmm, mm -hmm. anymore. And I have a very, very hot take here, which is that I don't think journalism as we want it to can exist under capitalism uh, as it currently does, and also maybe in general. And the reason for that is that you, in our current society, need money or capital in order to make things work. And the people who have that have very specific interests. And there's certainly like interesting things that can happen. There's interesting media projects. There's pop-ups, there's podcasts, there's ways we can like fill the gap. But in terms of like what I think journalism would actually contribute to like a rich public sphere, which is like a lot of journalists working, a lot of things being covered, massive like diversity among journalists, journalism jobs that were good jobs where you didn't work through your breaks, where you didn't work through your lunch, where you got a pension, all those things, you know, like the amount of money and investment that would take, I do literally do not see happening under our current political circumstances. So I think like many other industries, like for them to exist the way we want them to, they would have to be changed like incredibly dramatically from the foundations. Yeah, and that would require a big social change. Yes, so my advice to people who are graduating from journalism school is to create a massive social change. Okay. <laughs> so with that, um, and Sylvia, Sylvia, maybe I'll put this question to you. Uh, what gives you optimism and keeps you going? Yes, that is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> what well, what everybody can't see is is despite our passion, we're really sitting here very bedraggled. <laughs> I think just seeing the amount of independent projects that keep popping up, because I think several years ago there really wasn't much, and now we've got several excellent media publications in Calgary, like. Livewire and the Sprawl, and we've got amazing podcasts like The Alberta Advantage. And so that keeps me optimistic that more new things are popping up all the time and that people are willing to experiment and try new things and that they're not discouraged by the state of journalism. And I think that when we get a lot of doom and gloom about journalism and we hear it from everyone and when I, I remember telling people that I want to go into journalism and they'd be like, oh God, why? Like, <laughs> there's no jobs, are you gonna be low paid? And just the fact that people, even knowing all that, even with all the doom and gloom, that they wanna keep going, they wanna keep writing and they wanna keep doing their own projects, that always 
gives me a lot of optimism and the and the readers too whenever i meet someone who reads new forum that gives me optimism someone who's willing to give something new a try are you optimistic kate yes despite everything i've said <laughs> i am optimistic i think things can change i think they have to for me what is a big source of optimism is when our podcast can connect people who were previously feeling isolated or alone living in calgary living in alberta living on the prairies to the struggles and the social movements that exist here and can give them that sense of community um for an example, the other day I was on a picket line at the Peter Lougheed uh, Hospital in Northeast Calgary and I was walking around with the flag and someone was like, oh my gosh, like Kate Jacobson? And I was like, yes, like am I in trouble? Um, but no, they just like listened to the podcast and they had read in our newsletter that there was going to be a picket line at Peter Lougheed and they'd come out and they were amazed to see all of the other people there who were union members who cared about fighting cuts. Uh, so I felt that what we had done there is we had connected someone who had previously been listening to our podcast alone with a community of real living, breathing people who are working together, fighting together, involved in things. And that is really, really important to me because uh, as a socialist, I think we have to work cooperatively and I think we can't do things alone. So bringing people into dialogue and exchange and movements with other people is very rewarding and a big source of optimism when it comes to continuing to participate in this project. Yeah, I think similar for me, it's it's community. Like I, I mentioned the pub night we had, uh, Sprawl Pub Night last night. It's like people coming together, feeling less alone. Um, and, and people are hungry for that. People are looking for that. So I don't know, to me that that's kind of what gives me energy to keep going. It's not so much about like, this story or that story it's like people want community and journalism can provide that just kind of weird because I never thinking back to journalism school I don't think that was really something we thought about or talked about really uh, that much but yeah well I, I'm gonna I mean I know that we have to, to wrap this up fairly shortly the way I'm gonna answer that question kind of opens up to one of the other questions the, the last questions that we have the reality is there are um, there are dark days, especially as an independent journalist, um, because you know that um, you know that it, there's a hard road ahead. I am optimistic. I am optimistic. Um, whether or not it can be a long-term business, my optimism is there, but uncertain. So with that said, um, I'll put the question to you guys. What do you think are the biggest challenges, the biggest roadblocks that stand in the way of successful independent media? It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be print or online as Jeremy and I, but it can be podcast or it can be magazine form. What's the biggest challenge? So a big roadblock for us because of the type of work we do and something that's a big fear, I'm terrified of being sued. Like really, really deadly terrified of being sued. Slap lawsuits, especially against left-wing and anti-fascist activists, are incredibly, incredibly common. And that is something that could absolutely happen to us and something that I am uh, genuinely frightened about. And the other thing that exists for us because of the type of work we do is, uh, I think this is common among many people who work on the Upward Advantage, is the fear of any pressure being put on our employer because of things that I've said on the podcast. I've mentioned this earlier, but I say things on the podcast that are very unpopular in Alberta. Uh, things as simple as I am against the Trans Mountain Expansion Pipeline. That's not a popular opinion here. Most people in this province disagree with me, a lot of them quite vehemently, and a small minority of them quite violently. And it's very easy to imagine a scenario where uh, something I say could be taken out of context and could be used to pressure my employer. So absolutely the fear uh, of keeping a job or the fear of being sued, uh, those are really, really big roadblocks for us. And it's something that we think quite seriously about. And it sounds very weird to be like, it's risky to like put together like a podcast, but I think there are like real financial risks. And I think we try to be honest about them with each other because it's important that we all consent to what we're doing and what we're saying and what we're putting out and that we're all aware of what the consequences might be. Yeah. 
that's a good question. What's I mean, obviously the internet uh, is opportunity <laughs> and barrier in the sense of there's just like so much out there. Uh, there's so much on social media uh, about what's happening right now. There are lots of takes. There's lots of play-by-play. Um, so how do you cut through that with something that people actually see as valuable and worth investing in? Like that's a that's a really big one. Um, I'm trying to think of what the other ones are. There's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, there, there are. What, what about from the actual print publication? We're yeah, all, see, that's, we're that's all in an imaginary world. Here. We don't have a, a tangible sort of thing. Well, I mean, Jeremy, you did put out the, the one sprawl edition. Um, so we will, include yeah. you, we will include but you in the print time. publication side. And you guys did too. Yeah, we put oh, out a zine, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what are the challenges from your side? Well, you know, we had a really successful launch. Um, we had 45 people sold out. We had people that we had to turn away at the door. So there was a really good response and um, we were pretty happy with our media coverage and everything. But I think it's just keeping up the momentum. Once you've launched the product, how do you get people to keep buying it? How do you find new people who are willing to buy it? How can you get people willing to pay for a print product? And it's not expensive. It's like a $10 product. But there are things that some people have that perception. Oh, $10 is a lot for a magazine. But they'll spend $10 on something else that's, you know, I'd say less valuable than a magazine. And I think as well, another thing that's a really big challenge is burnout. Because, you know, I mean... I've just started to ignore the word. <laughs> I don't believe in burnout. I believe in just being unhappy all the time. Yeah. From the start. Yeah, yeah, just start depressed yeah. and then you can go downhill. Yeah, yeah. yeah because, you know, we, we pay ourselves last and we don't want to ask anybody else to help us for free. That's kind of something I really believe in strongly. And, but what that means is that me and my business partner are always run ragged. So it's like, where's that balance? Um, and, you know, crowdfunding is something we don't do. Maybe it's something we'll do in the future. Mm-hmm. Just because of that, is there a way that we can kind of offer some balance there and offer some people stipends so that we can have more people than we do? And the, the balance thing is, um, I can identify with that um, because just the way that we operate I mean there's there's all sorts of things there's the marketing side of it there's the being the editor but being the journalist too um, taking in freelance submissions but also you know making sure that you uh, have a newsletter ready making sure that you have um, well that you do you know things like the CGSW podcast Uh, you know when you do all of those things and you're the only one we were pretty strapped for resources at the Metro but now I'm, I'm I'm the sales manager. I'm the marketing guy. I'm the you know my wife is the accountant. God bless her. That's the one thing. Very, having a very supportive spouse makes it a whole lot easier. Um, but yeah, the burnout is the real issue with all of this because I'll write stories until the day's end. Like I should say, till the cows come home. Be, but doing all of the other stuff is actually what burns me out. And how do you sustain it? Like, that's, that's the question. And, and you touched on it, like, as well. Like, how do you sustain it from the perspective of people who are reading this? Like, how do you keep their interest? Like, I, I say to my wife sometimes, it's like, oh, yeah, two years in, like, the sprawl's not the new thing anymore. And it just isn't. There's not that same level of excitement. So, like, part of it is being like, that's okay. You can't do that forever. But how do you kind of, yeah, keep it's people into it? I think I'm the only person here not experiencing burnout with the project, and I and I think because you got twenty people, and I, yeah, it's because I have twenty people, and it's because like I work with others, and and that's important. So not only do I don't have to do the admin, I don't have to do the research, I don't have to do the art design, all of which are things I am. Uh, some of them I'm okay. I'm pretty good at research. I would be terrible art design. The podcast would look every visual thing we have would look disgusting if I did it. Like let's just be honest. So having someone else be able to do that, but also like. This kind of work, especially when you are someone with deeply committed political beliefs and you live in Alberta, 
it can be really difficult. And if I wasn't doing this project with other people, I would absolutely throw in the towel because when I'm looking at the news and I'm so upset and I just hate everything, uh, there are like other people who are sharing that experience and that feeling with me and are going to continue to do stuff. So I guess how I approach this project is kind of how I approach politics and life in general, which is it's easier if there's other people there to share the burden. So you only need to get teams of 20 or so people. And it'll get better, yeah. It'll get yeah, way better. Yeah. So if you could just all convince 19 other people to work for free. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> so, so with that, final question, is the future bright for independent journalism in Calgary? Or, or, <laughs> I mean, or independent media? We'll, we'll call it independent media. In terms of like a bright future is in terms of... Uh, people continuing to participate in things, continuing to try new things, uh, and for the work we do to continue translating to real material changes in the society around us, yes, uh, I see that continuing to happen for us and for our work. So for me, the future is bright in that very small way. Yeah, and I think I think the future is bright. I also think about like the lifespans of things. So like when I think about the sprawl, sometimes I'm like, I wonder what its lifespan is. Because if you look at publications in Calgary over the years, yeah, things start and then they die. Like that's and that's not bad necessarily, uh, unless you're losing your daily metro papers and then it's very bad. <laughs> or fast forward, R. Yeah, R. Yeah. in peace. Totally, yeah. But even that, like fast forward was twenty years, I think. So, so yeah, um, I think it's bright. I think it's we're fortunate to be able to do the things we're doing right now and we can keep doing them as long as we can and then something something else will take our place um and i i kind of am at peace with that i guess i'm glad you are <laughs> what about you sylvia you know what i think we we revived a feminist print publication in 2019 so yeah i'm feeling pretty optimistic about the future mm -hmm. Yeah, I do share in the optimism, guys. I think whether it's us sitting around this table, as you mentioned, things have a lifespan. Whether or not uh, that includes us, you know, five years from now, there there might be something else that somebody comes forward with, and a, a new way of delivering uh, a different type of story to to Calgarians, to Albertans. Um, so. Whether, I, th I think my optimism or my, my is a future bright really kind of depends on if I'm speaking of myself or am I speaking of just, you know, independent journalism in general. And I think that independent journalism, I, I actually believe that it's the way of the future. Um, I don't think that we're going to have legacy media for much longer. They can't manage the debt that they have, especially in the case of post media. And when you're up against the big guys like Facebook and Google, when it comes to uh, putting out ads or that sort of thing, they're, they're playing a losing game. And it's only a matter of time before, actually before independent journalism is going to have to pick up the, the ball and deliver stories in whatever way they're told so that people can find information. And it'll be smaller, yeah. like it'll, and, and it has to be, I guess. Uh, I think too for me, and I don't know if this is true for you, I think I would do the outward advantage even if I didn't feel optimistic about it because I think that it is a politically useful thing to do in its own small way. Uh, and I do it because I feel an obligation to do it. Um, for the same reason that earlier this week, I went and stood on a picket line, even though it was minus 26 degrees with wind chill and my hands were cold, because I felt I had an obligation to do it. And I thought it was the right thing to do in its own small way in which it contributed to things. And I feel the same way about the podcast. So some days I'm more optimistic than others, but I will continue to do it. Mm -hmm. Yes, I very much believe in providing a platform for emerging writers so that's why I do it and that's why I'll keep doing it yeah yeah all right guys awesome conversation thanks so much thanks to Jeremy Clausus and Kate Jacobson for joining us well that was a really great conversation thanks to Kate and Jeremy for joining us as you can plainly see through the conversation Independent media may not actually solve a lot of the media's problems, um, but 
we are contributing voices that I think, generally speaking, are, are underrepresented in media today. What did you get from the conversation, Sylvia? I thought it was a really interesting discussion. And one of the things that really stood out to me was when Jeremy Clausus mentioned that maybe media should be really upfront about their bias. Maybe it's a good thing that Post Media came out and said, yes, this is the way that our coverage is leaning. And the, we look at the Alberta Advantage and they're straight up with the fact that they're a socialist podcast and maybe all media needs to be like that. Maybe they all just need to be really upfront with their bias. And as citizens, it's our responsibility to read a variety of media sources. Maybe we should all be reading really right-leaning sources and really left-leaning sources and searching out sources in the middle and then form our own opinions. Uh, that would be a perfect world um, because mm -hmm. I, I, I do think, and, and to that extent, I mean, that's where maybe uh, independent media can really fill a void is by providing that wider range of voices, wider range of information, a better base of information. So it's not just in the two areas that what I would like to call media on the fringes, much like there are politics on the fringes, you know, because we've got the two sides catering um, very clearly to one another and, and trying to monetize that audience. I believe that there is a large underrepresented faction in the middle um, whose voices aren't in the media every single day. And those are the people who, who especially through Livewire, we're trying to reach out to. Absolutely. And with New Forum magazine, we're always asking ourselves, how can we reach other audiences? How do we reach new people who really need a platform for their voice? So with New Forum magazine, we're always asking ourselves, how do we reach other audiences? And how do we reach new people who really need a platform for their voice? because we want to showcase diverse voices. And I think a problem with a lot of the media landscape is just the very fact that people tend to read publications that already share their worldview and they shut themselves off to different publications. Mm -hmm. So while I love each and every single one of my readers, there are lots of readers out there who could really benefit from hearing our message. What are your thoughts on that, Darren? Uh, you know, I, I agree with you. Um, again, I, I think, I mean, in a perfect world, I would really love it if people sought out a wide range of things. But, I mean, of course, everybody's heard of the term confirmation bias. And we tend to try and seek out that information that reinforces our personal beliefs. Uh, a great example would be, <clears throat> excuse me, in the sprawl versus established areas growth. Um, the people who firmly believe in density and established areas growth don't think at all about what the advantages would be to um, even building a little bit out on the edges of the city. Sure, you know, maybe they might think, you know, we need to moderate growth in the, the, the fringes, but also people in the sprawl areas, the suburban growth areas, probably don't think and don't care about established area growth. And so we tend to, or they tend to, you know, think and talk about issues from that perspective. So, I mean, I think it's, it, it's a problem in general. I don't know if it's going to be fixed um, by independent media, but by providing more voices out there, um, perhaps we can fill in some of those gaps where people um, are seeking that information. Yeah, and I think that the more voices you have and the more publications you have, the more options to the reader and the more worldviews that you're going to be exposed to. And I think based on our conversations that we had in this episode and with each other, I think it's clear that independent media is trying to shift the needle a bit on having diverse voices in Canadian media and underrepresented voices. Whereas I'm not sure if mainstream media is doing the same thing because at New Forum Magazine, it is part of our mandate to seek out and publish and promote a variety of voices and a variety of experiences. I don't think that I see that in mainstream media. I would agree. In terms of the media bias, 
when you have, let's say, something leftist, you know, and proclaimed leftist, like, say, the Alberta Advantage or Progress Alberta out there delivering stories, and then you have the rebel media um, or, you know, another organization, part of the problem that I have with that, and I would love your thoughts on it, is we have one side who is so far, far left, and one side is so far, far right. And the problem is, is there's no middle information. And so the information that you're getting, it, it almost trains you to believe that one way versus training you to be a little bit more open and a little bit more understanding of diverse voices. I, I get what you're saying, um, but I think that my question back to you would be, can we ever achieve objectivity in journalism just because of the fact that your publisher, your signing editor, your reporters in any publication anywhere will all have their own bias shaped by their upbringing and their experiences and their education. So can we ever achieve true objectivity in journalism? I believe that we can strive for it. I think that we can strive to be better. I guess my response to you would be, I don't think by putting your bias out there and then reporting that way makes it right. To me, that tells me we're only looking at one perspective of this story. We're not, we're not looking at diverse perspectives on this story and to me that's a real problem and it will continue to get worse and if the if the if the political fringes continue to be fueled or antagonized by the media fringes then i think the issues that we have today in our society about breaking each other apart and tearing each other apart are only going to get worse until we can get people to look towards something that's a little bit more, um, I don't know the best way to put it, moderate in its approach. I would say that that's a reminder to all of us to seek out different sources of media than the ones that we're used to. Absolutely. And with that, we will tie up our launch episode for season two of Common Ground YYC. I'd like to thank my newly minted co-host, Sylvia Pical, for joining. And thank you to Kate Jacobson and Jeremy Clausus. We will catch you next month. <laughs>